Welcome back to Fireside, a podcast from FS Investments. I'm Kara O'Halloran. I'm a director on our investment research team here. And I think I'm going to start calling this the Kara and Lara show because we are once again joined by Lara Rehm, our chief U.S. economist. Lara, how are you? I'm great. Oh my God. We have so many amazing people to bring into our podcast, but I have to say I've been enjoying our one-on-one conversations. These have been so much fun. I know we will uh, we'll spread the wealth a little bit soon, but um, but it's been great. So given what we're talking about today, it does make sense that we've had you on for the last few episodes. Um, the economy has been moving so quickly, changing really rapidly. Um, so we have needed a lot of updates from you recently to really help us sift through all of the noise and all of the data. But today we want to take a step back and look at the fact that we are moving so quickly and really what that speed means. And then more specifically, the risks that come with an economy that is moving this quickly. Yeah. I, I, you know, that's something that I try to put across so uh, clearly to people is the consensus forecast of 2021 growth of 6%, over 6%, and then 2022 growing at 4%. These are growth rates that are three times higher than where our economy is sort of built to grow. You know, I compare it to my 12-year-old Volvo. It's a workhorse. It's a great car. But no matter what kind of gas you put in it, no matter what kind of road you lay before it, it does not like to go above 95 miles an hour. Like, full stop. So, (laughs) well, you know, and you could... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, if you're on a, a slanted racetrack with like high premium fuel, like it can maybe get up to a, a little bit more speed, but it's not going to be able to sustain that. And when I think of our economy right now, I just am, am writing uh, a chart book that's going to go out at the end of the week. And I'm really talking about the fact that our economy is traveling at light speed. Our economic cycle is moving at light speed. Our financial cycle has already moved at light speed. You know, not only are things getting faster, but the fact that our economy is growing so fast, you're I think you're going to start to see some structural constraints. And, you know, just to really remind people that for our economy, this is such a a, a terrific speed of growth. Right. So You know, I'm looking at this list that you sent over, and as you said, you'll be publishing it. So maybe first you can, not quite at light speed, but rapid fire, list the five things that you see that could go wrong with the economy moving this quickly, and then we will dig into them for the rest of the episode. Totally. I mean, the first thing that we really look out for closely is labor markets and sort of that job gap closing. The second thing... Uh, that can really happen when the economy is moving so fast at possible risk of overheating are frothy markets, you know, and that can come in a couple of different places. And I think alongside of that, the third thing is keeping a close eye on leverage. And I think today I'm focusing on corporate leverage. And the fourth thing, obviously, I mean, is inflation. That is such a, it's a tremendous issue right now. And it is sort of the, the target of where all of the attention goes when the economy is racing at such a strong level above our potential growth. And finally, of course, policy error. It's way too early to start talking about a recession. But when you look historically at prior recessions, what has preceded them? Rate hikes that have gone too far. Um, Some kind of other policy misstep that has caused our economy to uh, to really, you know, sort of break 
uh, and contract a little bit. So those are, I think, the five things that, um, you know, we need to start thinking about now, even though our economy, our economic growth at right now is very solid and very strong. Right. So, all right. So let's dig in a little bit. So today is May 18th. So we are just one week over past the big jobs miss um, about a week and a half ago. So the economy only added 266,000 jobs in April instead of the 1 million that were expected. But we constantly hear how hard it is for certain businesses, especially restaurants or leisure and hospitality. I have family in the restaurant business and they cannot get anybody to work. Um, We hear how hard it is for people to get staffing. Um, So maybe you can talk a little bit about that, that mismatch there. Absolutely. I think this is a good example of when we try to push our economy to such a strong growth rate, there are natural constraints that happen. And you layer onto that the fact that COVID and the pandemic caused a huge shift in labor market demands, trends, preferences. Uh, We've seen this huge mismatch be created with you know, we see job offer, uh, job wanted, the the JOLTS data shows that there are over 8 million job openings right now. That's a record high and coincidentally is about the same amount of jobs that we have still lost and have yet to recover. So on the other side, you have low labor force participation. Um, you still have people with health concerns. You have, you know, more demand for truck drivers and less demand for concert workers. There are a lot of um, shifts in the labor market, which I like to remind people is the least efficient market in the U.S. Um, that are just going to take time. And that is a good example of where the pace of our growth could really be hindered just by some of these structural constraints and changes on the back of COVID. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody, the past year has really fundamentally changed the way so many of us live our lives. And even I think we saw so many people leaving big cities. I imagine that there's uh, an issue there. You know, people left New York City and they can't go back to work at the restaurant there. <laughs> um, That's right. Yeah. I'm actually going to a restaurant this weekend that hired a robot or not even hired, has a robot server uh, because they couldn't get people to work. Um, Whoa. I, I know. I'll have to report back. Uh, exactly. I, was, we, I was so we'll fascinated. I have to that. go. I know. I know. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll live stream from there. But <laughs> <laughs> Um, anyway, so so moving on, I think the next one that you cited was frothy markets. Valuations are high no matter where you look really across markets, um, you know, equity, fixed income everywhere. Um, so what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think this is an issue because it, um, you know, we've so we've seen several, uh, in addition to the frothy markets, we've seen several other facets evolve with it within the household and household finances. Households now have a greater percentage of their wealth invested in equity markets than they have historically. So um, obviously that's, you know, the the sort of the 50th percentile is uh, high, is very, very elevated. The 10th percentile and the one, the one percentile of wealthy households hold by far and away the most equities. And that is you know, you're seeing their concentration in equities be at record highs. In addition, you have an enormous cohort, the baby boomers, that um, have saved and have a lot of their savings in equities. So all of this speaks to, number one, the fact that we've had so much liquidity, so much growth, um, and such strong earnings performance over the last four quarters. Um, 
that I think, you know, we really see these markets just, you know, racing ahead. But looking forward, you know, the earnings profile growth rate is expected to moderate. Again, staying strong, but decelerating. And that is an uncomfortable place for markets to be. I think it's one of the reasons why we've really struggled to make new highs over the last couple of weeks. Um, And I think it really speaks to broad economic vulnerability to valuations that are as high, you know, sort of we haven't seen valuations as high since the dot-com bubble. Very different markets, I'll grant you. But it's something that we need. I think it's something that can go wrong when the economy is, is this strong. Yeah, especially if, as as you talked about, the growth forecast that we have um, for this quarter, and we're halfway through the second quarter, um, you know, this is as good as it's going to get, basically. The forecasts are going to go down from here, um, and, and markets are forward-looking. So That's such a good point. Yeah. Let's move on to corporate leverage. We wouldn't be surprised to see corporate leverage increase really in the middle of a recession, especially as we get that hit to earnings. But uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about where we are now, you know, why you're really closely watching corporate leverage. Yes. Um, you know, so I think corporate leverage shows an interesting trend throughout the business cycle. Typically, corporate leverage falls throughout. And that's, you know, you sort of think about it, right? The top line is total debt outstanding. Um, and then the denominator is profits, operating profits. So typically, uh, as we have an expansion, leverage falls throughout the expansion. And, uh, you know, that often happens because profits grow. Like the denominator is growing, so the whole thing is falling. And, um, you know, you see it really rise sharply as we go sort of as a business cycle winds down, right? Um, Corporate leverage usually rises. And during a recession, it really rises. And that makes a lot of sense, right? During a recession, profits usually fall, you know, more significantly. And so you get leverage higher. Well, we're about 7x right now, seven times leverage, which is, again, the highest that we've seen, uh, you know, really sort of matching the the all-time high that we saw um, in the 2001 um, recession. And I think what is noteworthy is that this time around, um, you know, it's really been driven, that higher leverage was driven by a different set of factors. Profits have been solid throughout um you know, this episode. But debt has risen so much. Corporate debt has just exploded. And that is what has driven this higher leverage. So, you know, think about what that means going forward. Um, First of all, you know, debt interest payments are very manageable because interest rates are so low. But it leaves corporations highly vulnerable to any um you know, uh, change or um, step back in credit markets, which, you know, is your area of expertise. I know that's not something that's in your forecast, Kara, but um, but it still is a, a growing vulnerability that is really different than anything that we have seen historically in recessions or at the beginning of a new recovery. No, I, I was just going to say in credit markets, I think we're definitely watching this. I think kind of our view is that Given where rates are, we're not surprised that companies did, you know, issue a lot of debt over the last year. Um, I think it also, they needed to shore up their liquidity in the height of the crisis last year. And for now, it's really extended maturities. Um, you know, we've kind of pushed back that maturity wall a good deal. But, you know, I think it's it's definitely something that we are are watching. 
um, very close attention to. Well, yeah. And especially because we need business investment to be a part of really, you know, drive, continuing to drive our economy forward over the next several years. You know, right now it's being driven by consumption because of, you know, stimulus payments, because of amplified unemployment insurance, because people have been saving because they couldn't go out and spend. But Going looking forward, you know, one year, two years, three years, we really need business investment to really pick up the baton. And I think that's a place where should, you know, maybe as the Fed contemplates possibly raising rates or as growth decelerates, you know, any number of things can move credit markets off of these, you know, pretty significant tights that we're at right now. And I think that to me is is really something that I want people to have on their radar, that the leverage cycle this time around has been really unique and different from prior leverage cycles. Yes, definitely something to, to pay attention to. Okay, so I wanted to save a lot of time for our next one. It's inflation, really mm. hot topic, um, especially we talked about the labor market, possibly some wage pressures there. I, I've seen, I'm seeing reports often, I think McDonald's is raising their wages, Amazon was offering signing bonuses, um, that on the consumer side, the inflation data was certainly a hot topic last week. We saw CPI jump more than expected. So walk us through what we should be paying attention to right now with inflation or the risks that you see um, when it comes to inflation. Yeah. I mean, interestingly, such a hot topic and very, I feel like very little consensus around inflation going forward, which is kind of exciting as The Economist. You get to really watch it all evolve. And of course, I have my opinion. Um, so the way I really break it down, Kara, is is inf- is higher inflation right now, inflation is rising, full stop. Is higher inflation right now technical due to base effects? Like this time last year, inflation plunged. So really, even a trend-like monthly gain is going to cause it to surge higher, just to offset that calculation. Is it transitory? You know, we know that there have been supply chain disruptions in semiconductors, as an example, which really limited new car production, which meant that everybody has now pivoted to used cars because everyone also has cash and all of a sudden people need to drive to work again. They may not want to take public transportation. And all of that pushed used car prices in just one month up 10%. I mean, it, that's a, it's a small part of the overall index, but just a few of these small sub-indices saw extraordinary leaps that really pushed monthly CPI and core CPI rose 0.9%. I think that's the that was the highest monthly gain in 40 years. So that's an example of a transitory um, cause of inflation. You know, I think a lot of uh, people look at that and say, used prices are not going to go up 10% every month. You know, that's not going to be a sustained increase. It's painful right now. Um, you know, it's causing um, everybody to really, I think, worry about the monthly numbers, the, what it looks like annually, but the, it's transitory. Okay. So the, the next issue really is structural. And I think that is where there is not as much consensus. Inflation has been on a structural deceleration. It's We've had disinflation for decades now, driven by low growth, by low demographic growth, um, a lot of things, globalization, a lot of these enormous structural forces have caused inflation to fall. Has that reversed? Um, and I think that's, 
You know, my view is more that we're kind of in this mini cycle where we are going to get inflation for the next couple of years, but it's unclear to me what that looks like, uh, if that's really going to move the needle on these sort of tectonic, you know, I like to call structural forces uh, that are just kind of immovable and they're, they're, they're moving on their own and you can't really impact them very easily. So, you know, among all of that, I think it's important to notice that inflation expectations have risen to, you know, depending on what you like to look at, some of them are at 2.5%, like the 10-year break even. We haven't been there in 10 years. Uh, the five-year, five-year forward, another, you know, my favorite market measure is at 2.3%. You know, that's a seven-year high. So, um, you know, I think that's something that we're going to continue to be watching because it's not just, you know, sort of what your monthly CPI forecast is. It's what markets are really starting to price in and anticipate for the long run. That has really important implications for real yields, uh, for the 10-year treasury, for a lot of other parts of, of the market. And wages, to your point, are also rising. I think that's part of the labor supply-demand mismatch. Um, but is that temporary or is it permanent? I think these are the questions that um, have caused such disagreement among the consensus, which is healthy in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> when we're getting all excited about disagreements over inflation, we know we have not been out much over the last year. Uh, <laughs> so we, well, we did a few a full episode a few weeks ago talking about inflation um, and agreed that there would be some near-term base effects uh, working themselves out, but it kind of sounds like the longer term is still extremely muddled. Um, so the final thing that you have listed that can go wrong is policy. Um, the economy is so strong right now, growing really rapidly, uh, but there are some signs that we're overheating. So what what can go wrong in terms of policy? Well, of course, that is, that is the thing that can go wrong. Um, and I think in the, you know, in the publication I'm putting out at the end of this week, I think, you know, looking at um, historically, right, at prior recessions, um, episodes where the Fed has raised rates too fast, too far, um, have been um, mistakes that have interrupted our business cycle. And I mean, we have very recent examples of this. In 2017, the Fed kept on raising rates. And in 2018, had to bend a knee and acknowledge that they had um, overreached and they quickly cut interest rates. You know, that was a rare example of, I think, you know, really walking back um, a policy mistake in the nick of time. But, you know, that that's the kind of the reason why we have, um, you know, often why we experience recessions. And I'll say this. Um, Fiscal policy has a role to play here, too, because we're talking about enacting a lot of infrastructure spending. I have come on this podcast many times and talked about the need for infrastructure spending, the, the need to add to productivity to our economy by smart investment spending. And the problem is the timing couldn't be worse. We know we're having a labor you know, demand mismatch. A lot of these projects take, for example, you know, refurbishing water systems in, in cities, which Philadelphia badly needs, by the way. You know, that is a labor-intensive 
project. Where are you going to find the people? Um, home builders can't find people. Manufacturing, uh, they can't find people. So, you know, you're just seeing job shortages all over. So, you know, say you do get massive infrastructure spending, it causes wages to rise even more. You know, these aren't, again, you know, I think when we're at a place right now where the economy is so strong and there's really, you know, clear consensus that that is going to continue, what we need to do now is to look beyond. What are the consequences of this strong growth? And that's where I sort of come back to the worst case scenario where it could cycle back on itself um, and and actually end up prematurely ending our business cycle. Um, that I think is is at the end the number you know sort of it's the number fifth thing that can go wrong, but it's sort of on the tier of concerns. It's number one. Laura, thank you again for joining us. Uh, I think that was a, a great conversation. Um, you know, I think we all know that the economy is moving quickly and it's, there's a lot of optimism out there, but important to always be paying attention to some of the risks that, that are lurking. So thank you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Enjoy your robot dinner. I, I certainly, I certainly will. <laughs> I imagine I'm going to get like a drink or two dumped in my lap somehow. I don't know. We'll see. That could be our productivity work. solution. <laughs> I'll report back. <laughs> Thanks, Kara. Thanks, Laura. This podcast is brought to you by FS Investments. If you found this helpful, subscribe to get new episodes as soon as they are available.